and welcome to the Bright Minds of E-Commerce podcast. I'm Dana, founder of Bright Red Marketing, your e-commerce advertising specialists. Today, we are here with Emily from Isle of Summer Label. Emily started her business journey into the fashion world when she was eight months pregnant with her second baby. After a big learning curve and uncovering the dirty secrets of the fashion industry, she pivoted her business to ensure all production is produced in a transparent and ethical way and has a big dream to create flexible working opportunities for women. With no marketing or e-commerce experience, Emily is all self-taught and has created a multiple six-figure business with only one year of rebranding to Ethically Made. As someone who is passionate about sustainable fashion, I'm really excited about this episode and Emily shares some amazing info into how and why she made the switch. So let's get into it. Welcome to episode 11. And welcome to the Bright Minds of E-Commerce podcast. Today we are here with Emily from Isle of Summer Label. Welcome. Hi, Dana. Thank you for having me. It's so good to have you. So can you please give us a little bit of a background for those who don't know, you've actually had two fashion brands. Is that correct? Ah, uh, yes. So I originally started my foray into fashion three years ago and my first business was called Mummy Couture and I actually purchased it off Gumtree. It's a long story. I was eight months pregnant with my second child. I just moved back to Australia after living in the UK for eight years. I wasn't able to go back to my corporate accounting job career. So I wanted to learn a new skill, marketing and online selling had always really interested me. So I, I bought this little business and it was jewellery that was targeted at mums and just kind of then everything kind of led from there. I know you're thinking, how did you go from jewellery to clothing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all just a series of fate. The, the business that I acquired had a contact in Bali who made these beautiful kimonos and, and, and other clothing and I discovered that the kimonos made really, really handy breastfeeding cover-ups. I had my baby finally and I was just living in these kimonos because I could wear my breastfeeding singlet but I could also dress up my outfit and feel really comfortable and pretty um, yeah. with minimal effort and that of course resonated with my audience and it all just kind of went from there. A little bit random, it's funny how kind of life puts you on the path, the direction that you need to be taking where you are at the time and of course you know fast forward a couple of years later my son is no longer breastfeeding and I'm starting to get snippets of my life back and some more time. And I wanted to expand my business beyond breastfeeding and the kimonos. And I wanted to be able to design dresses and skirts and pants and tops and all the things that you're kind of craving to get back into when you move out of that young baby stage as a mum. So my business is very much a reflection of where I am in my journey through motherhood and yeah. being a woman. So 12 months ago, I rebranded and I've become Isle of Summer Label and I wanted to do better, be better, build a brand to be very proud of and wanting to expand my business beyond just the kimonos and reach a, a wider audience led me down the very slippery slope of learning about fast fashion and the negatives, the huge amount of negatives the industry has in the treatment of women and slave labor and, and all these awful things. So it really spurred me on to do better, be better and look for better. So I set out on a journey looking for ethically made factories in Bali. 
I very much wanted transparency, making sure I knew where my clothing was made, by who and under what conditions. And, yeah, that was kind of the catalyst for relaunching as Isle of Summer Label. Amazing. When you say ethical, because I know there's so many different kind of definitions, what were the the big things that were really important to you? I think you've sort of touched on them, but was there like a, a list that you were like, it needs to have these things? Yeah, definitely. I am very hands-on in my business and I really want to know who is making my clothing, where is the clothing being made because that's one of the dirty secrets of fast fashion. A lot of things are outsourced and then as a brand you have no visibility around actually how your clothes are being made. I wanted my factory to feel like an extension of me, be part of the family basically and really get to know everyone, have a a consistent and clear dialogue all the time and of course being able to go over to Bali meet the factories meet the workers and see for myself exactly what was going on behind the scenes yeah and of course being part of ethically made is also ensuring staff are paid well fashion is the industry is very well known for paying workers nothing or very very little you know not even enough to buy food every day for their families and I think 85% of workers in the fashion industry are female. So that's a huge knock-on effect to women, women in business and, and workers. So that's definitely really important to me. Amazing. How did you, because you obviously already had a fashion brand making those kimonos. What was that process like of obviously you've gone and done a lot of research, found out that's not what you want to be involved in. What was that process like of going from that to obviously the the relaunch, the rebrand and, you know, finding those ethical suppliers. What was that like? Yeah, I didn't go with the factory that was supplying the kimonos in the first place and that was for two reasons. There was no transparency around their production and also whenever I suggested new ideas or new styles, they basically kept saying, no, we can't do that, we can't do that. So they weren't going to be a partner that I could easily work with or fit my requirement or building a brand to be proud of. So that kind of triggered the search for a new factory. It was actually quite challenging because when you live in Australia and you're looking at overseas factories, it's really hard because you can't be there, you can't go and meet them you know, every week. You have to have a plan and you and quite often it's all about who you know and being referred to factories because you can't just Google them. They're not on Google. No. <laughs> uh, so it was very much a referral process. And so I was quite lucky that I had made some connections through over the couple, over the last few years through my fabric print designers because I use all Australian artists here to design my unique fabric prints. And they, of course, have connections because they're in the, the fashion industry. So it was just this trail of referrals and connections through people that I'd been working with over the years. Yeah. No, I think it's amazing. So obviously you've gone, this is important, finding new suppliers. What was the rebrand like and how did your kind of customers take it at the time? Yeah, it was a really big decision because switching to fully transparent and ethical increased the cost base significantly. Like my my cost base basically doubled and you obviously have to reflect that in your retail price because business needs to be profitable <laughs> because you're not helping anyone and you're certainly not paying people's wages if you're not making profit. So, of course, the prices needed to go up. And I just took the view of being transparent and honest with my followers 
And I took them along the journey with me, basically. I shared what I was doing. I did a lot of videos and posts over a six-month period about the changes that were coming. And they basically all understood. They all got on board and have continued to be customers. So it's been a very positive experience. From a business point of view, it was challenging, you know, from an administration point of view, organising all the moving parts because you're, it's a new logo, it's new branding, it's new colours, it's a new website. You've got to articulate your vision, your ethics, um, what your business stands for. So it was a great opportunity to redefine all of those important parts of your business and present them in a way that people will also believe in and agree with you and, and follow you on that journey. Yeah, wonderful. If you were starting off now with obviously the information that you have and you were going to start ethically from day one, is there any kind of lessons that you would share to those listening that maybe haven't started yet and know they want to go down that path? Yeah. Oh, gosh, so many lessons. <laughs> How long have we got? <laughs> I know. Every day I'm still learning and I'm still learning new things and you just have to pivot and take that information and do the best you can and keep improving but a great starting point is doing your research about factories. Don't just look at one factory, look at multiple factories. Don't just look at one country, look at multiple countries because there are some great opportunities for overseas manufacturing. I manufacture in Bali, but I've heard that Fiji is fantastic and like Korea is an option. And of course, China, if, I'm sure that beast is a bit of a, a harder one to crack but there's a lot of agencies out there that can help you and so I, I think starting off with an agency that like a sourcing agency that's focused on ethical manufacturing is is a great starting point and will probably cut out a lot of the the hidden stuff that's yes. kind of hard to uncover when you're on the other side of the world trying to figure these things out definitely yeah I, I think it's just so important especially the way the world's going at the moment it's just the more businesses that can take that path, the better. Um, yeah, and certainly there's an opportunity to start off as Australian-made when you're producing really small numbers. And I certainly did look into that, but the costs were quite expensive. Yeah. And so it was, yeah, it, it was challenging, really challenging. So that stage of my journey, I decided that overseas manufacturing would be a way to provide high-quality, ethically-made clothing at a price point that was a bit more affordable. Yeah, I have heard that the options to have things manufactured in Australia from a fashion perspective is incredibly difficult. We just don't have the the warehouses and the, the supply chains here to that kind of extent. That's very true. Sadly, the Australian fashion industry has declined significantly compared to what it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. There are options out there, but in my experience, they were really hard to find. And again, it came down to who do you know, who can you get referrals? But yeah, you know, but we we, we live in an amazing quality of life here in Australia. And and the fact is, it's just more expensive to live in Australia. And we have wage, minimum wage requirements that are quite high compared to other countries. So it's something to weigh up. Definitely, definitely. Now, obviously, business is booming. It's 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 doing really well for you. Do you think that is because you've gone ethical and people are really kind of embracing that? I definitely feel my existing customer base were super supportive of that. And I feel 
that it's definitely helped. And of course, expanding my product range beyond one product has also been a big factor because if you can sell one product really well, imagine how successful you could be if you sold three products really well or four products really well. So I feel that's a natural extension of growing the product base. Mm. But Mm. I often, every day I get customers sending me a message saying, thank you so much, I love my dress. And the fact that it's ethically made is just, you know, the final clincher for me and that's why I ended up purchasing to give your brand a go. So a lot of my customers definitely have the ethics at the top of their list. Yeah, wonderful. Because I know that a lot of businesses... And just a lot of people are still kind of stuck in that mindset of people won't pay the prices to buy ethical products. And I suppose you're kind of proving that wrong. Look, I'm certainly not the most expensive label out there, but I'm, of course, I'm not the cheapest label. I've actively, I'm an accountant by trade. So the numbers were really important to me. I chose not to wholesale my range because when you choose to wholesale to retail stores, you have to have a level of margin that allows for the, the costs of wholesaling. And because I've chosen not to do that, I was able to pass on that saving directly to my customers. So Isle of Summer is an online only business at this stage. And that's what I'm intending to keep it that way. Because I really do want women to have more choices to um, shop in a more conscious way. Yeah. Uh, and brands, a lot of fashion brands, just don't share the transparency of how their clothing is made, where their clothing is made. So for me, that was really important. Wonderful. And I think as, I mean, I think you said it before, a lot of factories don't give you that transparency anyway, even if the people who were going through those factories wanted it, a lot of the suppliers aren't giving that transparency. Yes. And that's usually a very big red flag. Yes. Normally it would be. So obviously you've said there were some challenges in terms of sourcing the product. Have you had any other kind of challenges with creating the ethical brand, you know, convincing people to pay the higher price point, anything that you can kind of share that others can learn from? Yeah, it can be a challenge because when I do a lot of Facebook ad marketing and you don't want to bombard people with all of the facts in a cold ad, it's kind of you have to take people along a journey. They, you know, they get introduced to your brand and you'll share one bit of information and then they'll follow your brand for a bit longer and you share another bit of information. You can't just throw it all at them. It's like throwing spaghetti at the wall. You can't just like give them 10 facts of why they should purchase from your brand because that's just not good marketing. So I do find people, some people can be quick to judge and they see a price and they go, oh my gosh, that's so expensive. Why is that so expensive? So then it kind of opens up an opportunity to start a discussion around our values and what we're trying to do, how we're passionate about employing women and creating well-paid jobs. And then I often find they will change their point of view or they'll go, oh, oh, okay, I didn't, oh, I'm not used to that. Like it's, fashion is really challenging because there is a lot of fast fashion brands out there. They're everywhere. You go onto Facebook and and you'll be flooded with fast fashion brands targeting you. So you do have to be really careful on how you articulate why you're different and and how you're trying to be different. And that's probably where I struggle the most is is getting that, that message out without having to less list 10 bullet points of how we're different. Yeah. With the the Facebook ad specifically, do you find that you need to show people the product and get them excited about what you're selling and then add the ethical backstory and kind of explanation? Or do you find you need the ethical first to get them interested? Like have you kind of tested what's working best for you? Is it a little bit of a mix of both? 
I talk a lot to my customers. I will I spend hours every day chatting on, on DMs on Instagram or Facebook. And I've definitely found the common feedback was the uh, bright colors and the beautiful prints take their eye first. And then that kind of leads them down the, oh, okay, what's this brand? And they head to the website and they, hopefully they go to the About Us page and they read a bit more or maybe they've seen me in a story on Instagram. So I found stories and using video where I just talk openly and share our values and what I'm working on and people have really brought into me and the, the face behind the brand. Like I'm not, I'm not going to hide. I'm the owner of the business and I'm proud about what I'm doing and I'm happy to talk about it. And that kind of then people start to understand that, oh, okay, yeah, I hadn't really thought of that. It's, you know, I hadn't thought about the women in Cambodia that are sold into sex slavery just to be able to put food on the table for their children. Or I hadn't thought about how some Chinese factories outsource all of their production to North Korea, but you won't know that because brands don't talk about it. And mm. so I find talking about it, people, it's raising awareness for topic that affects everyone because we all wear clothes we all go shopping of course I understand that we all can't afford to spend $200 on a dress or or, you know $110 on a t-shirt but again it comes down to the message of why don't we think about buying less but buying quality or shopping with a bit more conscious rather than fast fashion shopping where price is the main factor yeah I find that really interesting that even with the the really heavy ethical stance that you've taken, I mean, it's still fashion. People still want to see pretty clothes and that's what's kind of going to draw them in and then you're telling the the story behind that that really sells them on it. Well, they have to love the product Yeah. at the end of the day. You know, women want to look beautiful. They want to feel beautiful in their clothing and if I can achieve that, awesome. Yeah, and your clothing is beautiful. I do like a rainbow, so... (laughs) It is very bright and colourful. I'm a big fan. When you first relaunched, what were some of your more successful marketing strategies and is that different to what you're finding works best for you now? When I first started Mummy Couture, I knew nothing about marketing. I'm an accountant. I'm not a marketing person. So it was a huge, huge learning curve. I honestly thought I could post on Instagram or Facebook and sales would come in and that just does not happen. So in the beginning, I was trying to do all the the free types of marketing that I can and I feel if you do that, your business will grow very slowly and you just will never get traction. So then I started learning about email marketing and Facebook ads. Facebook ads have definitely been really important but taking everything that I learned with Mummy Couture and and having the opportunity to kind of start again and take all this knowledge and and put it straight into a a new business. My most important marketing tools was having email automation. So I use Klaviyo for all my email targeting. So as soon as people get to your website, you want them to sign up to your email list so that you can continue to market to them off of Facebook and off of Instagram. And you can send them special offers or share really important information with them and and really build a community of people who who want to hear about what you're doing. So email marketing is very important. It represents over 30% of my revenue every month. And then, of course, uh, Facebook ads. So taking all the important messages and then then creating a flowing funnel of all different stories and images and visuals to send out to different audiences and, and target 
people who I think will be interested in my brand and, and share the same values. And that's definitely key to growing your business. And I've been very slack at using Instagram influencers, but it's something that I've been trying to do a little bit more of lately. And I'm getting some great traction with using popular women on Instagram that um, my audience love to follow. Yeah, I feel like that would be a really good fit for you. Yeah, it's just time. Yes, <laughs> I, just it is find... very, I think people forget how time-intensive using influencers is because it's not just like running a Facebook ad where you can sit on the couch in your pajamas at 10 o'clock at night and just make a Facebook ad yeah, and go live. Yes. Like You actually have to sit and have a – I mean, you have to sit with them, but you have to have conversations with people and build relationships and post Yes, and it's definitely. a very intense relationship building. It's not just oh. well, let me send one parcel to one person and look at my business grow. Yes, exactly. And and there are, I feel that there aren't that many influencers who do influence. Totally There's a lot totally. of people who like to share, but are they the kind of people who have an audience who are also looking to buy a new dress or a skirt? So I've done a lot of testing, um, trying new things, and lately I've, I've found working with women who have a meaning and a purpose on their page beyond just sharing their life. So women who are... who who share styling tips and how to dress for your body shape. I love working with curve women, curve influencers who are sharing such positive body image messages. They are the best. I love working with them because my range goes up to a size 22 slash 24 and their audience are just so supportive. They really make Instagram fun. So I'm kind of just working on trying to find more women who share style and fashion um, that also align with my brand values as well. Yeah, amazing. So obviously your brand, I mean, you're called Isle of Summer Label, is a little bit more of a a summery brand. How do you find, you know, managing the kind of the winter colder seasons? We were talking before about how I'm such a sook because it's 21 degrees outside and I have the heater on. (laughs) But how do you kind of find that? Obviously, Australia's got advantages because it's still 21 degrees outside. But, you know, how do you kind of manage that summer stock in cooler climate? Yeah, that's a funny one because I love summer came about because I live in Australia and I live in Brisbane, which is one of the warmer places in Australia. So I am used to pretty much summer all year round. And for me personally, I always find it difficult to buy clothing that's comfortable to wear in summer because it does get so hot and humid in Brisbane. So everything I design is is with that, that heat and humidity in mind. But also being part of being uh, not a fast fashion label is making your pieces trans-seasonal. So... I knew winter was coming and parts of our country do get cooler. So I really focused on having long maxi skirts and long maxi dresses that you can layer and and continue to wear them in the cooler months, but, you know, add a denim jacket or wear thermal leggings or a a long sleeve top. So you can continue to wear your pieces throughout the year with some clever layering. Yeah, And, of course, you do have to do a bit of trying your best to forecast expected sales And the only way to do that is looking back at past history and I don't have a lot of past history. So I do find that being an accountant, I'm quite prudent. So I I don't order huge quantities. I like to order small and test and see see what the girls like and which often leads to things selling out really quickly because I never seem to be able to forecast 
I'm growing too fast, so my forecast is never right. But <laughs> I'm working on it and I'm trying my best. So, you know, every month I'm learning more. Yeah. Yeah. So, so far I haven't had too much of a problem with stock laying around too long because, uh, you know, the audience understands that I'm a summer-focused brand, but I'm trying to design pieces that you can continue to wear throughout the year. Definitely. Is it something where you kind of get some different imagery and things for winter that show like the skirts and things being layered or is it more just a you know that that's what people can do when your audience is smart enough to work that out? No, you definitely have to show images. So I do a lot of videos showing how I layer with cardigans and jumpers and then I use my brand reps or my um, social media influencers and you know if we're coming into winter I'll say can you wear this top with jeans or if we're in summer can you wear this top with shorts and I do try and uh, curate the imaging around our time of year so I, I definitely find in winter if you're showing how people are styling it for winter then they're they're more inclined to um, understand how they can use it in winter. Yeah wonderful all righty do you have any other things that you think you can share that others might find useful lessons you've learned, those sorts of things before we get to the last few wrapping up questions? To all the mums out there who are in business or thinking of starting a business, my biggest tip is don't feel like you need to be able to do everything. You can't do everything when you're raising children and running your business unless you can afford to outsource help and, and hire help. And also don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to hire help and outsource one thing I haven't yet mastered is asking for help and I do everything. I do everything and I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to feel really tired and I've grown my business to the point now where I'm starting to feel comfortable to outsource and I know that a lot of business people will recommend outsourcing way beyond before you're ready for it, outsource before you're ready, before it becomes a problem. And I feel like that's a really good tip. I should have started outsourcing it and, and getting help, like asking for help probably a couple of months ago so that I could be ready for a period of growth. Yeah. So just because the last few wrapping up questions we ask everyone, do you have any strategies, routines or habits that you follow each day to help you stay on track? Oh, God, no. I have. <laughs> I love I how many people kids. say that. I love how many people say that. It's great. I know. I wish I had a routine. The kids don't allow for much of routine. Every day feels like it's a scramble, but I, I love to exercise. So for me, I get up early in the morning and I exercise and that is a way of making time for myself, putting myself first, putting my health first. And I find when I exercise, I'm just in a better uh, mental space. I know a lot of people will say block your days, you know, Mondays do X, Y, Z, Tuesdays do this part of your business. But I only have three working days a week where, where both of the kids are in daycare or school. So I jam what I can jam into three days. And I often work all weekend as well when my husband's home. So, yeah, I need to get better at batching my work. It sounds like you're doing very well with the the new routine I think I think we sometimes <laughs> get stuck into the idea that we have to have all these crazy routines and be super regimented and to be honest most of the people that I've spoken to that are like my, my definition of very successful most of them just kind of wing it a little bit they've got a to-do list or some post-it notes and everything just kind of ticks along really nicely so I think it's just nice to hear the the realities and it's not oh I get up at six and I do this and I do all my work and then I like it's just I think there's this idea in business that you have to be super regimented to be successful, and I just don't think that's true. Yeah, look, everyone's going to be different. Some people will really thrive on structure and routine, 
other people thrive on short deadlines and winging it and so I'm terrible at planning ahead I never ever plan anything ahead but I hustle hard when I come up with an idea I'll execute it quickly but if you ask me to sit down and plan 12 months out in advance I just can't do it it just doesn't happen (laughs) no I'm with you there do you have a favorite business book I do I really loved the e-myth Uh, that really transformed the way I think about small business, running a small business. So I highly recommend everyone read the e-myth. Profit First is a great one. I'm an accountant, so reading anything about numbers is interesting to me, but Profit First is a great one. From a personal point of view, I would always recommend people read The Barefoot Investor because what you do in your business can flow on into your personal life and your personal finances. So there would be my three most favourite business books. Yeah, I highly recommend The Profit First book as well. It completely changed my business. Yeah, so really great messages in all of those. Yeah, really, really good. Do you have a favourite podcast? I am a podcast junkie. (laughs) I love podcasts. I've really been enjoying your podcast and I discovered it in... COVID picked off when I was searching for new new inspiration. So I've gotten some great tips. And I also love How I Built This, which shares some brilliant stories, really, really well curated stories of very famous businesses and, and how they started from scratch and, and grew to huge companies. I have discovered a new one. It's called Minds of E-Commerce and um, it's an American one and they focus on brands that have reached over a million dollars of turnover which I'm, I'm nowhere near a million dollars of turnover a year, but it's certainly something I'm working towards. So they share some great tips for e-commerce. And, of course, a lady-led podcast is Lady Land by the girls from Lady Brains. I really love their interviews. Yeah, they, they only interview women in business and it's really inspirational. Amazing, wonderful. And if people want to come check out your shop, see what you're up to, what's the best way for people to visit you and get in contact? So my website is ilovesummerlabel.com. I'm on the Instagram and the Facebook um, under the under the tag I Love Summer Label. Send me a DM, say hi, let me know if you heard the podcast. And I always love to chat with everyone who sends me a DM. I love it. Well, thank you very much for joining us. You've shared some amazing insights. So really grateful that you shared your time. Great. No worries. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the 11th episode of the Bright Minds of E-Commerce podcast. Don't forget, we load all of the links, show notes, full transcripts onto our website. You can find everything at www.brightredmarketing.com.au forward slash show notes forward slash episode 11. The link will also be in the episode description. Last week, I told you we had an exciting announcement to make and this week it's here. So I'm super excited to launch our Bright Minds of E-Commerce membership. It's a small personal group where you get access to weekly help with me to ask all of your Facebook ads questions and a weekly group call to ask your questions one-on-one and learn from others in the process. We're keeping it small to start so you'll get all the attention that you need. It was designed so that those who aren't ready for our full coaching programs can still get access to the right information so they aren't wasting their money and can be better prepared to make that leap into outsourcing, which is always really exciting, but we just find that people sometimes get a bit stuck, they get some bad advice, they waste lots of money, and we've created this to try and help 
fix that. So if you want someone to run your ideas past, don't know what kind of audience to do next, those sorts of things, this is the membership for you. So if you want to know more, head to our show notes page again, www.brightredmarketing.com.au forward slash show notes forward slash episode 11. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you soon.